Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here. I am so thankful for the chance that we have to worship together every week. And I also want to say congratulations to our 2023 graduates. Man, it is hard for me to believe these guys are ready to graduate. When I first came to Plum Creek, the current high school grads were in first grade. Uh, Back then, Easton Perkins was a lot shorter than me. Man, times have changed. Seriously, we are proud of these guys. We are praying for them, and we're excited to see where God leads them in the future. Before I get into the sermon today, I wanted to mention, uh, this has been one of those weeks where we're just seeing a lot of people go through a difficult time. Many of us are hurting and grieving, along with the family of Drew Cox, who passed away this week. Uh, Drew had been living in Tennessee, but he grew up here at Plum Creek, and he was very special to many people in our church. We also have uh, many members of our church who are going through some health crisis or a family crisis. And then I also spoke with one of our mission partners a few days ago. I won't share his name for safety reasons, but he told me in over 50 years of working in India as a missionary, uh, they're seeing the worst persecution they've ever experienced. All that to say, I just wanted to take a moment to pray before we do anything else. So let's pray together. Father, you have told us in your word that you heal the brokenhearted. You give strength to the weary, power to the weak. You give a peace that passes understanding. And Lord, we pray for those things right now. So many of us need your comfort, your strength, your healing. And Lord, you know each situation, you know each heart. And we thank you, Lord, for being our help. We look to you. We know that you are where our help comes from. And we ask for that. And I pray right now as we look at your word that you will speak to us and that each one of us will hear exactly what we need to hear from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the third week of our series called Kingdom Habits. And this series is all about those habits and spiritual disciplines that will ignite spiritual growth in our lives. And over the past two weeks, we've talked about listening to God through Scripture. We've also talked about speaking to God through prayer. And if you've been around here, uh, you know that we have a challenge right now for the month of May. And the challenge is to spend at least 10 minutes with God at least five days every week. That one-on-one time with God needs to include both scripture and prayer. And with this challenge, we're keeping it simple. We said after you read a verse or a passage of scripture, uh, make sure you ask at least two questions. Question number one, God, based on what I just read, what do you want me to know? And then God, based on what I just read, what do you want me to do? Because that's, that's what scripture reading is about. It's not just listening to God. It's listening and obeying. Then when it comes to prayer, we're using the ACTS model of prayer. 
And that's where you just go down the letters of the word acts. A stands for adoration. You praise God for all that he is and, and for the amazing things that he's done. C stands for confessions. You, you go to God and, and confess your sins and ask for his forgiveness. T is thanksgiving. Just look at those many blessings that God has given you and express your gratitude. And then finally, supplication. It's where you bring your requests to God and you ask him to do what only he can do. So I hope you've kept up with this challenge. And I'll I'll be honest, the goal here is not just for the month of May, it's to develop a habit that just goes on and on into the future. And I also hope you remember, this is not about checking off a box. This is about growing a deeper relationship with God and about helping, asking him to shape you into the person that he wants you to be. And today, as we move on to week three of this series, we're going to look at the habit of stewardship. And I realize stewardship can be a trigger word for some people. Uh, some people hear that word and they think, uh-oh, is this about money? <laughs> And I have to say, sure, money is a part of this discussion, but wow, this is much, much bigger than that. Stewardship includes almost every part of your life. And here's how it works. In each of our lives, God gives us different gifts, and he asks us to take care of these gifts for a little while. He comes to each one of us and he says, okay, Jim Bob, or whatever your name is, I'm going to give you this amount of time this amount of money. I'm going to give you these talents, these abilities. And then we take these gifts and we get to decide what we're going to do with them. That's what stewardship is. And we see this idea all over the Bible. First Peter 4.10 is one example. In that verse, uh, the apostle Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in that verse, but for the moment, let's focus on the word stewards. Stewards. You may know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word for steward is oikonomos. I think that is a fun word to say. So why don't we say this all together? Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Oikonomos. That was was good. I think some of you are ready to start learning ancient Greek. You got one word down, about 60,000 to go. You're off to a good start. But I think we got it. The word oikonomos means steward. So what's a steward? Well, in modern terms, you might call this person a house manager, Uh, Back in Bible times, people knew exactly what a steward was because this role was pretty common. In fact, Jesus tells lots of stories about stewards. Uh, Those stories often go something like this. You start with a master. The master is the owner of a house or a farm or some property or whatever. And then for various reasons, the master would need to leave home for an extended period of time. And before the master left, he would appoint one of his servants to be a manager of the household. And then that servant literally took the place of the master. And once the servant moved into that position, this person was called a steward. 
And this is exactly what God has done with us. He is the master, and he's appointed each one of us to be a steward. If you want to fulfill your primary purpose in life, you've got to understand stewardship. So let's start with a basic definition. Stewardship is the management of everything God has entrusted to us. Now, that one statement has many implications, so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at three important truths about stewardship, and then we'll look at two specific ways that we can manage this responsibility well. So three things to know and two things to do. All right, here's our first truth about stewardship. Truth number one, God owns everything, and I own nothing. And I'll admit, at first, that doesn't sound like good news, but we have to start here. This is the foundation for everything we're talking about today. And the Bible is very clear on this. It talks about this in multiple places, but one example is Psalm 24, verse 1, which says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This is the big idea. God owns everything. And it can take a little time for us to get used to this idea. For example, maybe you have a car. Maybe you have a title that says you own that car. But the reality is, you don't own that car. It belongs to God. This applies to everything. Mount Everest belongs to God. Pick up a tiny grain of sand. That belongs to him too. Or look in the mirror. You belong to God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But now, what do we do with this information? Some people might say, okay, if you you want to think about it that way, that's fine. Way up there on God's level, sure, he owns everything. But down here in the real world, what's mine is mine. That's the reality. And we may be tempted to take that pragmatic approach, but that mindset does not lead us to good stewardship. This this truth is in Scripture for a reason, and we have to start here. Our second truth about stewardship is closely related to the first one. If God owns it all, everything I have is a gift on loan from God. In the book of Acts, uh, the Apostle Apostle Paul is uh, preaching to a, a group of scholars in the city of Athens, And I think it's really interesting what he says to these Athenian scholars. Listen to this. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord or master of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, listen to this, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So according to verse 25 here, uh, what is it that God gives us? He gives us life and breath and everything else. So we need to stop right here and get a little more specific. Think about your life specifically. What gifts has God entrusted to you? The list is probably longer than you would expect. You could start by looking at your treasure that includes all your money, Uh, All your stuff, Um, it it includes that car, your home, um, any tangible items that you have. 
But let's go beyond material things. God has also given us time. Every day, we have 24 hours to work with. We're all the same in that way. And we get to decide what we'll do with those 24 hours. But let's keep going. What about talents? Maybe you're good at fixing things. Maybe you're good at math. Maybe you're a natural athlete. Personally, I'm 0 for 3 on those. Uh, We all have different talents. But we're not done yet. What about people? Should people go on this list? Well, if you're married, God has entrusted you with a spouse to love and care for and cherish. If you're a parent, God has entrusted you with the responsibility and the privilege to care for your children. If you're a boss, he's given you employees. If you're a teacher, he's given you students. Uh, In fact, just about every relationship you have is an opportunity for stewardship. So, treasure, time, talents, people, we could really go on and on and on from there because stewardship includes almost every part of your life. A professor named Donald Whitney says, we need to be disciplined in the way that we practice our stewardship because it's so easy to waste our time and squander our talent and be careless with our treasure. If we're being honest, we all have a natural tendency to mismanage these gifts. But God is not okay with that. And that brings us to our third truth about stewardship. God has entrusted me with the responsibility to be a good steward. Emphasis on the word good there. God did not say, okay, guys, here, here you got a bunch of gifts and you can just do whatever you want with them. No, God didn't say that. He set high expectations for his stewards. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Think about Genesis chapter 2. In that uh, Genesis 2 verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and take care of it. That's stewardship. Way back then, God told Adam, I want you to take care of this place. Don't let it grow wild. Cultivate it. Work hard. Get, make this garden grow and flourish. Actually, those instructions, they still apply today. You may have some property yourself. We all are a part of this planet. God has given us the earth to steward. It's another thing on the list. So, God calls us to be good stewards. Every gift he's given us comes with a responsibility. But guess what? If you want to be a good steward, that's not going to happen by accident. We have to be intentional about the way we handle these gifts and manage our blessings. Now, unfortunately, not everyone is intentional. Now, we all have one thing in common. Everyone has a pattern for stewardship, the things you normally do with these gifts. Uh, Maybe naturally you're a a spender or you're a saver. Uh, Maybe you tend to maximize your time. Maybe you tend to waste your time. We all have patterns for stewardship, but not everyone has a plan for stewardship. And even if you do have a plan, the big question is this. 
Are you following God's plan for stewardship? And that leads us to a question. What is God's plan? Well, Jesus said something very important in Matthew 6, 33. He's in the middle of a long sermon, and he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So uh, according to Jesus, we should uh, take account of all our gifts, look, look at our gifts, and then we, we should say, God, how can I leverage these gifts for you, for your kingdom? And for some of us, that, may, that might make us a little nervous if that's the first thing we're doing. We're thinking, God, if, if I give you the first of my time, treasure, and talent, I'm not sure I'm going to have anything left over for what I need and, and what I want. But what did Jesus say here? He said, if you seek God first, all of these other things will be given to you as well. And what are all these things? Well, you have to back up one verse and you see that Jesus is talking about the basic needs of life, food and shelter, clothing. And Jesus says, if you put God first, he's going to take care of your needs. When you focus on God's kingdom and you trust that he will take care of you, everything else is going to fall into place. Okay, so there you go. We have our three truths about stewardship. Number one, God owns everything. Number two, everything I have is a gift on loan for God, from God. And number three, God expects me to be a good steward. And now it's, it's time to focus on these action steps, really just two action steps. And it's important to know that these action steps are specifically for followers of Jesus. And if you're not there yet, this doesn't apply to you yet. And hopefully you will be there. The step one is what we just saw in Matthew 6, 33. If I want to be a good steward, I need to make God and his kingdom my top priority. So how are we doing with that? Well, let's do a quick heart check. I have a, a scenario for you. If some total stranger looked through your calendar and looked through your bank account, and that was all that they saw, that was all that they knew about you, what impression would they get? If that stranger looked at the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money, what would they learn about your priorities? The truth is, that scenario is pretty close to reality because the people who know you best have a pretty good idea of what matters most to you. For example, if you're a parent with children still at home, your kids are watching you and they're learning from you. They see the decisions that you make on a daily basis. So what message are you sending? Would your kids say that God's kingdom is your top priority? That's a challenging thought, isn't it? So how do we do this? We, we all have a lot going on in our lives. So in normal, everyday life, how can we put God and his kingdom first? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Okay, so Paul uses this example of time. We need to make the best use of the time that we have. And like I said earlier, every day, we all get 24 hours to work with. 24 hours adds up to 1,440 minutes. And we need to ask, how does God want me to use those minutes? We have this challenge right now to spend at least 10 minutes every day in time with God, in Scripture, in prayer. But is that the right number? You know, ideally, what, what should the goal be? Is 10 minutes the goal? Martin Luther was a, one of the great leaders of the Protestant Reformation. And Luther said, every morning he starts the day with at least two to three hours of prayer. Is that the goal? If so, I got a long, long way to go. But what exactly does God want? What does he expect from us? Paul said we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And how can we know? Well, we talked about this, right? God speaks to us through Scripture. And he doesn't tell you every little decision that you need to make. He doesn't micromanage you, but he does give us basic principles to follow. One principle is what we just saw. Put God and his kingdom above everything else. And that's just the beginning. For example, God says a lot about how we should handle our finances. And based on biblical principles we see throughout Scripture, God, God wants us to do three things with our money. Save some, spend some, and give some away. And how much should we allot to each of those three categories? Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here because we'll talk about that more next week. For now, I'll just say this. Whether we're looking at finances or anything else we manage, we need to start with biblical principles, and then we make an intentional plan, and then we live according to that plan. This is how we should approach every gift that God has given us. This week, I was thinking about the lists of gifts that God has given me to manage, and I ran across one that really struck me. As a follower of Christ... One of the things that God has given me is the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. I am a steward of the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The gospel is a spiritual treasure. Followers of Jesus are stewards of that treasure. And, and God doesn't want us to hoard this treasure for, our, for ourselves. He wants to share it. He wants us to share it with others. And sometimes the church does that really, really well. Sometimes we share the gospel through our words and our actions, and, and we really lift Jesus up in the way that we live. Other times, though, the church has not handled this treasure well. You've seen that, haven't you? You've seen the hypocrisy. You've seen the self-righteousness. And man, the world sees that too. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for the church, for us to be good stewards of the gospel. The world needs to see a church that says, hey, we are not perfect, but we're serious about following Jesus. 
People need to see genuine compassion in us. They need to see integrity. They need to see a group of people who are good stewards of the gifts that God has entrusted to us. And with that goal in mind, I have a couple of projects for us to take on. Two specific ways that we as a church can be good stewards this week. And the first one may seem a little strange, but I think it could also be good. I want to ask you a personal question. If you've been at Plum Creek for a little while, more than a few months, I want to know, do you have a drawer in your house that looks a little like this picture? Let's bring that up. I know we do at our house. So have you accumulated a stash of Plum Creek pens? Maybe you got a bunch in your glove compartment. Maybe they're just scattered throughout your house. And if, if you do, don't feel bad. I know a lot of us have, have this big collection of Plum Creek pens. And listen, if you only have five or six, or if you're new here, don't even pay attention to what I'm saying. But if you're like the Hartleys, I have a challenge if you have more pens than you need, I invite you to participate in a special day called Plum Creek Pen Amnesty Sunday. This is happening next week, May 28th, a very special day. Out at the visitor desk, we're going to have a box, and you can bring your extra pens and put them in that box. And what does that mean? That means the next time that we order pens is going to be a little farther off. Now, that is a small thing. It's a super small thing. I realize that. But this is the mindset. If we take that mindset in this small area and we expand it to everything, we can become better stewards of what God has given us. So that's the first project. The, the second one is probably more significant. Right now, uh, the leaders of Plum Creek are praying and seeking God about where he wants us to go as a church. We know the work of the church is the most important work in the world. We're here to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And at Plum Creek, we take that mission very seriously. So in this season, we're evaluating where we are as a church, and we're asking God to show us where he's leading us. And this is where you come in. Later this week, if you are a member of Plum Creek, you will receive an email with a link to a survey. And we're asking every member of our church to fill out this survey. It'll only take a few minutes, but this will help us evaluate our strengths and our weaknesses and our opportunities. And on behalf of the leadership, I want to thank you in advance for participating now, if you've never officially become a, mem a member of Plum Creek and you're interested in doing that, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, today, after service, you could stop by the Connection Cafe and talk to someone there. Uh, you can contact the office or any of us on staff. If you're watching online, you can go to plumcreek.org connect. But this project really is about stewardship. At the end of the day, we want to be faithful stewards of everything God has entrusted to us, whether that's here at church, or in our families, or in our individual lives. Now, before we're done here, I have that one last action step to share with you, and this is a good one. Because sometimes stewardship feels like a heavy responsibility, but this action step lightens the load. Here it is. 
as a steward of God, I need to live in response to the grace of Jesus. I need to live in the light of God's grace. Because here's the problem. This role of a steward, it's beyond us. How many of us can be the perfect parent or the perfect spouse? How many of us manage our time perfectly or manage our money perfectly? Nobody, right? And when I look back on my life, I've definitely made some bad stewardship decisions. But what does that mean for me? When God calls me to account for the job I've done as a steward, is he going to condemn me for all the ways that I've messed up? He has every right to. But a long time ago, Jesus came to solve my problem. He knew that we all deserve to be punished for the way we've mismanaged our gifts, for the way we've made a mess of our lives. But Jesus stepped in and he took our place. He went to the cross and he suffered the punishment that we deserved. And when he did that, he offered us the gift of grace, a gift that we don't deserve forgiveness, a, a restored relationship with God, uh, the hope of eternal life. And if you've experienced that grace through a life-changing relationship with Jesus, you can look around at your life. You can look at the mismanagement that, that has happened on your watch. You can look at the damage that you've caused, and God can say, it's all right. From where you are right now, I can take you where you need to be. That's grace. And you see how this affects our role as a manager or a steward? A good steward doesn't have to be motivated by fear or uh, duty or uh, guilt. A good steward is motivated by love and gratitude for what Jesus has done. And we can say, thank you, God, for everything you've entrusted to me. And thank you, God, for your grace and then you can say, God, you tell me what you want me to do with all of these gifts. My time, my talent, my treasure, my kids, whatever. In the end, stewardship is one of the best ways we can worship God and express our love for him. Let's pray. Father, you've given us a challenging task a task that is beyond us. God, we ask for your help. You don't leave us to, to manage these gifts on our own. When we surrender our lives to you, you give us the power and wisdom that comes from your Holy Spirit. You can help us make better decisions, come up with a plan that aligns with your plan, and then live according to that plan. I ask that you would help us to do that as a church and in our families and as individuals. And we thank you for the help that you give. In Jesus' name, amen.